Good morning, church. When you are dead asleep, what wakes you up in the morning? Depending on the season of life you're in, it could be a whole bunch of things, right? Moms, dads with little ones, it can be the children crying. It can be so many things that wake us up from a dead sleep at night. Colton, my oldest, who is just turned eight years old in November, he loves a good alarm clock. I'm sure that will change eventually. But me, on the other hand, or his mom, that is not our favorite device in the house. The other morning I woke up, I think it was way too early to remember, and uh, the alarm clock is shouting, and it sets off the sound alarm, a noise alarm in our house, because the alarm clock is so loud. So you can imagine how that felt, but thankfully everything was okay, we went back to bed, and slept great. But what if waking up meant enjoying rest? Those things don't seem to fit together, do they? But what if waking up meant enjoying rest? What if that blazing loud alarm clock or sound of discipline for your mind and body was for your good? Friends, this is what God's discipline is and looks like. Perfect rest perfect enjoyment that is not temporary, but that lasts forever. This is what his discipline gives you if you respond rightly. We're going to see this today ever so clearly in Psalm chapter 50. We should learn from Colton, learn from a kid in this regard, and from God and his precious word, and be warned and be disciplined and be woken up. Not only for temporary gain, but for eternal gain. For our good and for his glory. So if you would please turn with me to Psalm chapter 50 this morning. You're going to find that on the, uh, in the black Bible under the chair in front of you on page 473. 473. As you turn there, remember that Psalms are meant to help broken people like you and me. Walk faithfully and experience God rightly in a broken world. They're living, active prayers that we can go to time and time again to understand, to remember what this looks like, to follow God rightly in a broken world. And Asaph, the worship director here, is going to paint for us a picture this morning of a divine courtroom. So as we go in Psalm chapter 50, picture in your mind a divine courtroom. The the seat of the judge lifted high. And the people all gathered. God the judge, verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to ask you, in light of this courtroom theme, if you would and are able, would you please stand as we read verses 1 through 6. Rise for the judge. That's point number one. God the judge. The mighty one. God the Lord. He speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. 
Before him is a devouring fire. Around him is a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Amen. You may be seated. Church, behold your God, the judge. Look at verse 1 with me as we walk through the text together this morning. The psalmist shows us this picture of God who is what? He is the mighty one. The maker of heaven and earth. This is a picture of God as a divine warrior. He is the mighty one. Not a weak God, but a mighty God. A God who is able. A God who is ultimate. He is the one who rules not just some things, but everything. He knows all things. He controls all things. And he is reigning over all things. God, the supreme being of all the universe. God. It's a wonderful picture. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Ancient of Days, Lord and Master, God Most High, the self-existing One, God. The Mighty One. Friends, ask yourselves this morning, what is your view of God like? Is He the Mighty One to you? Verse These first six verses are so critically important. Hear that. They are so critically important to the way you live your life. And not just live your life, but the way that you enjoy your life. The way that you enjoy God. Nobody else compares to him. Verse 1, even though he is God and he is mighty, he is high and lifted up, He is also described as God, the Lord. What does that mean? He is Yahweh, a God who is not just high, but also near. A God who is not distant, but who draws near to sinners like you and me. He is a God who is not distant. He is mighty and he is near. He is a promise-keeping God. He is a faithful God. The psalmist is trying to show you who your God is this morning. Verse 1 says he he doesn't just tell us who he is, but he says in this picture, in this courtroom, God speaks. He is not silent in his word and in this image. He speaks as one who is in control. He has all authority. He is setting all things in motion. He speaks and he summons the earth, it says. He summons it from its rising to its setting. He is the divine mastermind. The divine sustainer of all things. Life and breath and everything. This is the one, the true and living God. There's no debate when God summons the earth and the sun. 
There's no talking back to God from his creation. He is the one who is in control. That word summons shows God's authority. He says it and the sun rises. This God is powerful. This is your living God. He summons. Verse 2 says, your God, this mighty one, when he steps out of Zion. I love this picture, church. He says, witness the perfection of beauty. When he steps onto the scene, witness the perfection of beauty, church. God is the total definition in the book, the standard of what is beautiful. He is that which makes your senses get lost in awe as you are lost in the glory of God, friends. When he steps out of Zion in his perfection, he shines forth like the morning sun. Glory, 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 holy, 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 radiating with goodness and beauty and wonder. Lord, let us see your glory is my prayer today. That he would radiate not just forth, but in each and every one of us as we reflect his glory, church. The idea or place of Zion sounds intriguing, right? It's like, oh, what is Zion? When you're looking at it, it sounds cool. But it's not the point. The point of Zion here is to show you that the thing that makes Zion beautiful is that God is there. And when he steps out, he shines forth. It's about God. It's not about this place But this place of Zion is meant to be this dwelling place of of God with his people. So it's about God here, friends. He radiates. He evaporates the darkness all around. He shines with glory like none other. Friends, in this world we talk a lot, a lot about beauty, don't we? But have you considered the beauty of God? The way you view God matters immensely. Because when we get him wrong, chaos ensues. It's not just that you fall into more sin and schemes of the devil or lies of our flesh, but you miss out. You miss out on the perfection of beauty. You get a substitute that never lasts, and you miss out on the everlasting perfection of beauty. And God doesn't want that for you. The way you view God matters, church. Stop settling for second best and look to the God who is the perfection of beauty. He has set eternity in your heart for your good and for his glory. He shows up here in this scene in Psalm 50 to remind us this morning who he is, because we get lost in ourselves. Let God shine forth this morning, church. He made you to see and enjoy his perfect beauty. Look at verse 3 with me. The psalmist then, after describing this wonderful image of God's perfect beauty and wonder, he moves to show you what God has come to do in Psalm chapter 50. He arrives on the scene, drum roll, right? 
He is not silent. He is a God who speaks. We want to hear you. We want to hear what he's saying. And he does not keep silent. May he not keep silent, the psalmist is saying. But verse 3, respond, or he reminds us that we should not take this beautiful God lightly. He is both beautiful and terrifying, church. Look what it says. Around him, before him, are burning flames, white hot devouring fire, worlds melting, mighty tempest, storms whipping and swirling around, winds howling. And this isn't just a breeze. This is like a Category 5 hurricane storm. Raging around and before our God here in Psalm chapter 50. So yes, God is the perfection of beauty, and God is also terrifying to be in front of. And he's on a mission here. Verse 4 says, he shows up in this scene. Why? To judge his people. He gathers the heavens above and the earth and the earth below. This is a scene of God on the judgment throne as judge. He's gathering the heavens and earth, the things seen and the things unseen, all to bear witness to the judgment that he is about to levy against his people. All earth, heaven and above, will witness. So are you ready for that, church? Verse 5 says, He gathers... He commands, he says, do this, gather to me my faithful ones. What faithful ones? The ones who made a covenant with me. How did they make a covenant with me? By sacrifice. The first readers were under a different covenant than we are today. The covenant of circumcision. They offered sacrifices to God by faith. God graciously provided them a way that they could be made right with God and be in a relationship with God. And it was by sacrifice. The sacrifice reminded them of how awful our sin is. It requires death. That is the curse of our sin. But it's the point towards a better sacrifice, ultimately. But it's God's grace that he gives them this way into a relationship with them. God shows up here. He calls his people together. He gathers them. What are we doing right now? We're gathered together, right? It's the way God works. God speaks and he gathers his people to discipline him, them in this scene. Twice, two different ty- kinds of people. So church, we're gathered right now. We read God's word and we need to hear God's word and hear his rebuke to us this morning. Listen to the spirit talk from, from God's holy word this morning as God rebukes us. This is toward the gathered body. God is judge. The point the psalmist is making is he is perfectly beautiful, yet he is fierce And he is to be feared, revered, and highly respected. Verse 6 makes the point that God is a righteous judge, though. So he is not like the judges or authority figures we know. (laughs) He is perfect. He is right. And he will judge rightly. He sees all that we are. Which, friends, I don't know about you, but that's terrifying to think about. He knows all, sees all, knows our thoughts our actions, past, present, and future, and he has come to judge his people in this chapter. So may our 
eyes and ears and hearts be open to what he has to say this morning, church. Because we want to enjoy God rightly. So point one was God as judge. Point number two this morning is about who he's come to judge. This first group of people in this gathered assembly is the externally righteous. Point number two, the externally righteous. We're going to see this in verses 7 through 15 this morning. Would you follow along with me as we read? Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Amen. That's our God, friends. So he has a rebuke for this first group of people in the church. Those who are externally righteous. God addresses them saying, hear me, in verse 7. Hear me. Who? My people. You can hear the command, the pleading, the invitation God is giving here. As a storm blazes around him. Can you feel that picture, friends? And it even goes deeper than that. He's saying, listen, stop talking. Stop doing. Listen to me. Hear me, my people. His affection and the way he judges. And it has a deeper sense here. This hear me is not just hear me, but hear, evaluate, and adjust. He's saying, be hearers, And then doers of what I have to say. He says, oh Israel, I will testify against you. I will bring this charge before you. Hear me. Understand me. I will discipline you. Hear my correction. My charge, my problem with what you are doing. He says, I am God, Israel. I am God, church. You're God. And you are my people. I have put my name upon you. And you are in the wrong. In verses 8 through 9, we start to see the heart and the righteous anger behind God's charge against his people. Verses 8 through 9, look with me. He says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. So they're making sacrifices. They're doing good works. They look pretty good. You probably wouldn't notice. They are doing what they're supposed to do on the external. 
on the outside, on the surface level. They might go to church like you. They might do the right things. They might say the right things. They might look the right way. They might play the part. But God says here, I will not accept your sacrifice. I will not accept a bull, not one bull from your house. I will not accept a goat from your fold. Your money, church, your works, your actions are no good here today, he's saying. God says, I will not accept them from your house. It's your best, I know. But I will not accept it from your house or from your folds. He says, access is denied to this beautiful God. And God explains the heart behind it, though. Look at verse 10. He says, don't you get it, friends? Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. I know all. Every one of the birds in the air, they are mine, church. Everything you are giving me is already mine. You yourselves are mine. And I am the mighty one who created the heavens and the earth, who summons the sun to rise in the morning. It's all mine. Including the animals that you're sacrificing that are supposed to show the severity of your sin, your great need of me. It's all about me, he says. It's not ultimately about what you do or the sacrifices that you make. I do not need them, God says. Who do you think I am? Verse 12, God says, think about it. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. (laughs) It's almost laughable, right? When you look at it, he's saying, I would not tell you. Do you view God in this same way, friends? Do you realize that everything you have is his? Every morning, every breath you take, it's all his. He has given it to you, church. You see, the people of that day, they would bring sacrifices in, like the neighboring countries and, and people groups of that time, and And the other people, the outside, would make sacrifices toward their God in order to try to twist their God's arms to get their gods and their debts. So you can imagine they were starting to think the same way. It's a human condition. We are the same way many times, friends. They would try to put God in their debt. Get a genie in a bottle. And this is not how we approach God. He is the one true and living God, the mighty one, the psalmist says. He is the perfection of beauty. He is terrifying to stand 
before. This God cannot, will not, ever be put in your debt. He's saying, what do you have that I have not already given to you freely? This is crazy, church. You think about, you wouldn't go to an infant and ask them to make you your dinner, would you? They would just stare at you. I don't have anything to give, right? How much more, infinitely more, is this what God is saying here? I wouldn't come to you if I was even hungry. I have everything. Everything is mine, God says. But we treat God like this. We get superstitious. We, we play these games with God. We check these boxes. We try to do the right things. But are we doing these right things for the right reason? And the right reason is for his glory. It's to make him known, to point people back to him, not to us, not to us, but to his name be the glory. God confronts his people today. Maybe God is confronting you today. You can live as good as Mother Teresa, friends, but God's saying, don't get it twisted. It's not about what you're doing. It's about the why in this instance. These good things are important. They're good. They're glorious. They're right. But the why matters. The heart matters. The spirit of why you're doing it matters. He says to the externally right, to the doer, in verses 14 to 15, Offer to God. And that's not just a weak offer to God. That's a command. He says, if you see this in your heart, church, if you see this in your heart, repent, turn, hear the judge speaking to you today. And he says, turn and offer to God. What? Thanksgiving. Something we are not fond of often, are we? It's easy to not be thankful. It is much harder to be thankful. But what we need to do is look to him. When we know what he's correcting in them here is saying, don't you know that everything you have is mine? And I'm inviting you to myself. I'm correcting you. I'm rebuking you. Because I love you. Because I am the perfection of beauty. I am what you are looking for, what you are longing for. And he tells them, stop it. Stop looking elsewhere and come back to me. Stop trying to fill your cup with your own glory. It will never satisfy. He says to the doer, offer to God. Offer to God. Give thanks to God in all you do. Take your life and make it an act of a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, church. Everything you do, every breath you make, remember who you are and remember who God is, how mighty he is, and how he still loves a sinner like you and me. That will change your heart. 
for thanksgiving. It will soften a cold heart and make it a thankful heart. Perform your vows. Live your life as a living sacrifice. And then what does he say in verse 15? This is good news, friends. In the day of trouble, what should you do? What's that? Call upon him. And what will he do? He will deliver you. And what does it say? It glorifies God. Be thankful. Have a heart of thankfulness. Know your great God. Behold your great God, the judge. Revere your great God, the judge. And be thankful to him for providing a way that you can be with him. The perfection of beauty. Friends, this is good news. It's much better than trying to do, do, do. Instead, he's calling you to enjoy, enjoy, enjoy God. Rest. Do the right thing, but rest in him. It's already been done. Then he turns to the last group in the gathering. First, you have the externally, the ones who are doing externally righteous things. They're trying to play the game, play the part, trying to twist God's arm. And point number three, he turns to the visibly wicked. The visibly wicked. God the judge turns first to the externally right and lastly to the visibly wicked in verses 16 to 23. Look with me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or to take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. God's word, friends. Friends, God is not indifferent to evil. He is not indifferent to wickedness, to sin. He is not indifferent especially in this instance, to hypocrisy within a church, within a Christian's life. He hates injustice, hates hypocritical ways, hates wickedness and evil. And he is a terrifying judge. 
we've witnessed this imagery all throughout this text. The wind, the fire that devours, the wind that sweeps you away. This God is holy. He is judge of heaven and earth, and he will not be mocked. He is a terrifying judge. All throughout Psalm 50, we see shades of the hearts of God's commandments, the Ten Commandments. His Ten Commandments, and especially here, he calls them wicked, but then graciously shows them, though, why they are wicked, what the problem is. He doesn't just say, you're wicked, be gone. He shows them. Just like God's word shows us as a mirror, his Ten Commandments are a mirror to show us our wickedness. God lets them know. He is gracious in that way. Friends, the grace of God, even in judgment, confronts us with our wrongs. He says in verse 16, To the wicked in the gathering, to the one who is in the church, what right have you to recite my statutes, friends? What right have you to take my covenant even on your lips? What are you doing here? What right do you have, he says. They are in the gathered body like us today. It might be you. It might, it might be the, us singing, reciting the covenant, listening to the sermons. And then you walk out and you do as you please. You're a Sunday morning Christian, as they say. But friends, there's no such thing. God rebukes that in you today. Do you try to avoid discipline from God? They were trying to avoid it at all costs. It says they hated discipline. The Bible tells us that that is absolutely foolish of us to hate God's discipline. His discipline is for your good. It's for his glory. It is loving that God disciplines you instead of leaving you to yourself. But if you don't heed his discipline, church, his instruction, his word from the Bible, his Holy Spirit, then what are we even doing here? Why are you even here? If you don't want to know and enjoy the God who is the perfection of beauty, church. Is this something we just come to because it's what we do as good American citizens or is it because we love God? Enjoy God, the one who is and will come back. The perfection of beauty. God continues to the wicked and says, you cast my words where? Behind you. You know what that picture is? They hear his words, they they hear it, they're reciting it. And it's like, they walk out the door like, God's words. A most holy God, the mighty one. They just fling it and keep walking. Is that you? They avoid God's discipline like 
the plague. They do everything they can to avoid being convicted by God. Not realizing that it is for their good, church. They pretend like they are agreeing, but their hearts are far from them. You might nod your head. You might recite the words, sing the songs. But you really could care less about God. Friends, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. They pretend like they're agreeing. But it's time to stop pretending. The first group did the right works without the right motives or heart behind it, giving thanks to God. This group is almost the opposite, but still lacking thanks to God. Both have forgotten God. Your view of God is important. They leave a barren wasteland around them, the wicked. Verse 18 shows us, see the visibility of their wickedness. The fruit of their throwing off God's discipline, God's correction. It's the way they treat others around them, their neighbors, their family, their friends. They leave a barren wasteland. They leave chaos. He says in verse 18, if you see a thief, you are pleased with him. Not just okay, but you are pleased with him. I can kind of see why he's doing that. That's pretty wise. That's smart. You keep company with adulterers. You are friends with them. Not pleading them to repentance, which we're supposed to do, but you act like everything is all right. It's all good. I get where you're coming from. I know that's hard. He's saying you keep company with them. You don't confront them. You don't warn them. You know who I am and you don't warn them? You know that I am the judge and you don't warn them? You keep company with them. You have to warn them. How loving is God, friends? And how unloving are the wicked here in this passage. God's discipline is loving. The adulterers, he's like, you see the way that porn has ruined your life, your appetites, confusing you what is beautiful? I am the perfection of beauty, he says. Why are you keeping company? Why are you saying it's okay? Why aren't you pointing them back to me? I am what you long for. I am what you find rest in. You see the way they ruin their marriages here because they aren't resting in me? They are looking for a better love. They are looking to fulfill the lusts of their heart. He's saying it's not okay to keep company and act like everything is all right. If you were my people, you would lovingly warn them. He continues down the list in verse 19. He says, you give your mouth free reign for evil. There are no constraints, no self-control, a fruit given by God. Notice these things are the opposite. 
You say and do as you please. When your mouth opens, evil ensues. Chaos is left. People are hurt. There's nothing growing and good in your barren wasteland when you open your mouth. You crush instead of culture and grow. You don't keep. When you open your mouth, evil ensues. You can tell all these things are just piling up. You are deceitful. You frame deceit. You make it look halfway true, enough to get by. And God says, I see it. I know you. I know your heart. I know you better than you know yourself. And I'm here to correct you, to put you back on the right path so you can enjoy the perfection of beauty. This is your wake-up call, Christian. Notice verse 22, or verse 21, rather. These things you have done. God knows it. He's seen it. You have done them. Guilty, the judge says. You are guilty, and I charge you of these things. And I love what uh, he says here. He says, you thought, what? I was one like yourself. I am not like you, God says. I am right in everything I do. I am perfect. I am God, the judge, the mighty one, your maker, your sustainer, your creator. I am not wicked like you. I am good. When I step on the scene, I shine forth. This is your wake-up call. This is that alarm clock screaming in the middle of the night before it's too late. This is God's mercy, his love towards us sinners. We are all sinners, church. But God rebukes us to bring us back to him. There is a better way. Verse 22 says, mark it down. Mark this. You who forget God. Why? Lest I tear you apart. Do you think God doesn't care about wickedness, about sin? Let this verse change your mind. Lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver you. No one. This mighty God who the wind is raging about, the fires around him, there's no one, no one who can stop him. He summons the sun to rise, friends. Today is the day of salvation. If this is you today, if you're convicted, friends, of your wickedness, of your sin, don't fling it off. Don't hear God's rebuke, his conviction from his spirit, from his word, and just fling it off. Come to him. That's why Psalm 50 is here. 
to help you find your way back to God. The perfection of beauty. This is his loving patience. He was not silent. He is not silent because he has dismissed your sin. He is not silent. He has not not come back because he's like, ah, whatever. No, his patience towards you, his love towards you, his waiting for you to wake up and come back to God. The God who made you and saved you. Friends, give up control. Stop trying to do, do, do. And realize that God has even made a better way than the sacrifices of bulls and goats. He has made a better way that you and I can be right with God. You don't have to keep walking in sin. You can be made right with God today because of Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. Friends, He came because he saw your wickedness. He came because he saw you and your sin. He loves you. The perfection of beauty, this mighty judge. Don't store up wrath by avoiding God and flinging off his word. Come to God, the God who saves you, who loves you more than anyone in this world. He loves you more than you can even love yourself. Jesus Christ took on your wickedness. He lived the perfect life. He he did all these things without sin. He had the right heart and he lived in truth. And he tells you that God will remake you. He will give you a new heart of flesh. That you can live as true worshipers. No more trying to do it, do, do. But he will remake you. He will sustain you. He will keep you. And you can enjoy him. The perfection of beauty. Jesus rose from the dead. God did that to show that the wrath of God is poured out for you. There is no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. By faith, by trusting him, by seeing what God says, rebuking you right now, friends, and turning to him, you can be saved from the wrath to come. Psalm 50 is not the final judgment. Psalm 50 is God's loving correction towards you. His calling towards you to come back to God. So church, what is your view of God? What is your view of your sin? Do you think you're good enough? After looking at verses 1 through 6, after looking at this mighty, mighty God, or do you see your need of God? Friends, that's the place where true thanksgiving grows and sprouts, where it keeps you, where it always, always makes you pleasing to God by Christ Jesus. You can be a living, breathing Thankful sacrifice to God. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. He doesn't need us, but he chose to save you. He chose to remake you. 
Now live and rest in thankfulness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't want to keep doing what we're doing just for the sake of doing it. Lord, we know that you are the giver of all good things. But sometimes we struggle to live that out. Father, would you forgive us? Would you help us to grow, to enjoy you in everything we do? To not be a people who are entitled, but a people who give all glory to you, our King. Father, we ask that if anyone here today doesn't know you, if they have been playing the game, that they would come to see that you are the perfection of beauty today. That they would seek someone out. That they wouldn't waste another moment. Father, because you are most glorious. We pray that you would help us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.